Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cricket Ultras. This is Arun Sudharman and joining the Ultras podcasting 11 today from Singapore, Darren Burns. How are you, Darren? I'm great. We've got our best three of the decade, best three podcasters. We, yeah, also our only three. Happy New Year to you. And also, as always, joining us from Hong Kong, Toby Derman. How are you, Toby? Hello. Happy New Year to you both. I'm very well. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, I'm trying to work in a joke about this being a four-day podcast, but I'm not sure it, it really works. <laughs> At least uh, not a timeless podcast. Yeah. We need to reduce this podcast down to 80% of its normal length for completely spurious reasons, it would appear. Um, let's talk about the proposal by the ICC Cricket Council to reduce test matches from five days to four days. Has not been met with much support. I have struggled to find uh, any good reasons for it, aside from uh, they want to fit in more cricket. Darren, what's your take? Yeah, I mean, th- th- there's been lots of discussion about day-night tests, hasn't there, as well? So day-night tests seem to be pretty split, but people are coming around to that kind of idea, aren't they? But four days seems to be quite unanimous in that people are against it. I think one of the best arguments I heard about, you know, against the four-day test was the workload on the bowlers, um, mm-hmm. because presumably you have to have a longer days bowlers would bowl more um they probably have to have more all-rounders and part-timers so it might even make for for even more draws so mm-hmm. it seems everyone seems to be against it but um i don't know i think they should try one right they should trial a couple of four-day tests to see how it goes i mean some of the tests in south africa for example some of the wickets there and some of the ones in india you'd think you'd be able to get a result in four days um if you added a bit of time to it so who knows they're definitely going to try one at some stage i imagine yeah i just worry about the the sample size. I mean, we have a whole decade of test matches and it was interesting because I think there's this notion that many tests end in four days, but that's a really recent phenomenon. Apparently it's only really the last two years if you look at the stats and many of our great test matches, even of this decade would not be great test matches if they were four day tests, they would have been draws. And even recently, you know, the England South Africa match, you know, that, that required the full five days. Yes, um, and a couple of times during the Ashes as well, wasn't there? Well, the Ashes would have been a, a stalemate, I think. Uh, it would have, I think, I read somewhere it would have been nil-nil if, it, if they had, if they'd been four-day. Uh, yeah, but if they if they have a longer days, right? So there's more overs bowled in a day. They start earlier, finish later. You know, you might get through a result. So I, I don't think anyone's saying that it's ninety over days. They're trying to extend. Yeah, that's them, true. They? So just one more point I want to make before I before I ask for your views, Toby. I haven't actually, the one thing that worries me is I haven't seen a very strong argument for it. So they seem to put two points forward. One is that it's better for the the grounds because they can not, they can lose less money on, on dead days. Yeah. That doesn't seem a particularly strong argument to me because surely the grounds are in service of test cricket and not the other way around. Um, And then the second argument is it will help players with workload by playing fewer days and I just don't I think that's disingenuous the, the idea that they will be they will end up playing more cricket exactly There's, they're not going to play less Toby what's your take? Well look, I think all of this is summed up really nicely by Verenda Sewag who said four days of moon is fine not to test cricket which I think is a a delightful way to put it and it, it sort of sums up it's the romance of test cricket it's head versus heart isn't it you know you're looking at the administrators thinking about really sexy things like workload and money at the turnstiles, whereas the cricketers want to play in the ultimate five-day experience. And so I think that's the the crux of it. I think I noticed the MCC have encouraged um, 
them to retain five-day tests. And I think just generally I'm a little bit exasperated by the endless change in cricket. I mean, I know the game has to adapt and change, but it's changing so much that consumers and, and customers are confused. And if the objective is to get more people into the game using different formats, which is great, is laudable, but the endless tinkering will put people off either at grassroots or people that just don't get it um, outside of the game. So there's a temptation always to change. Um, nothing wrong with that, but I, I think it seems a bit too much at the moment. Yeah, Sachin Tendulkar made the case that it wouldn't be good for spinners either, not being able to bowl on a fifth-day surface. But that's what makes it exciting sometimes. You know, a, a pitch is absolutely crumbling and there's some heroic batting performances on absolute dirt, you know, dirt tracks. I think the other thing about audience as well, just to, to, to go back to the, the last test at Cape Town between South Africa and England, I think there was a decent turnout at Newlands, but take the Barmy Army out of it and you would have very few people taking a work day off locally to come and watch a fifth day. So I kind of get the, the commercials as well. Yeah. In terms of support, there's a very long list of people who have come out against it, including... Steve Smith, Virat Kohli, Sachin Tendulkar, Virendra Sehwag, uh, as you said. I think pretty much every Australian cricketer came out against it, except, of course, the one who's in favour of it, Shane Warne. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what his reasons are. Any any idea, Darren? I think probably just wants to go against the grain. <laughs> something to talk about, as I'm going to do that probably as well. So you guys are saying don't mess with the test. Yeah, leave it alone, leave it alone. We, we know, I mean, Darren, you, you are an innovator, so tell us why we should move to four days. No, I, I think they should trial it, right? I mean, there is some lost revenue at grounds. It is it is long, and, and Toby just mentioned, often fifth-day crowd, during the week crowd, you don't get that many people. You could extend it a little bit on each end, so you get almost four and a half days in, you know, into four. I don't know why they wouldn't just try it out. Why can't we try it out? We used to have timeless tests, then it was five days, and so we could trial a four-day. I'm not saying we have to go to it, but we should trial it. Yeah, I think when they went from timeless test to five days, I'm sure there was all sorts of consternation. This this kind of fast food cricket that was coming in. <laughs> um, you know, um, County and, and Sheffield Shield has played over four days, right? I think a lot of first class cricket is. So let's see. Yeah, my my sense is that the weight of opinion against it may may make it a non-starter. But yes, they may well trial it. It's because it's just rare that so many people come out against something. I mean, we're all media PR types on this. I mean, just with the, the, the PR cynic in me, was this a kind of ICC flagpoling exercise just to put up something to see whether it got completely shot down and then they'll probably drop it quietly and it may, may well be something in, in that. Well, are they trying to push something else through, you think? Well, no, it's more it's more like let's let's raise it and we'll use proxies to sort of talk about it. Like Michael Vaughan seems to be all for it and Warney seems to be all for it. Let's see what the reaction is and then we'll use that as a gauge of whether we continue with it as a as an idea. And it looks at the moment like it's probably losing the losing the battle. Yeah, could work could well be. There was a, an official four day test match between Zimbabwe and South Africa a couple of years ago, I believe. A day night game in St George's Park, which of course South Africa won by an innings of 120 runs. Um, so there has been some trial. I didn't know that actually until just reading it this morning. Um, yeah, but but cricket South Africa seem to be a little bit in favour of it, maybe. Yeah, I tell you who else is in favour of it: the broadcasters. Maybe that's why it's been floated at all. And although they haven't been mentioned, um, you know, the ICC hasn't said it. It's better for broadcasters, but of course, maybe that's it. 
Yeah, broadcasters pay for cricket. Um, and a couple of people have come out. Um, I think Sony Pictures Networks has, um, has come out and said, you know, they, they think four-day cricket should be investigated. I think Star India also is, is, is a supporter of it. Um, although, they, you know, they haven't. They're not a fierce advocates because I think they're aware of the, the concerns. I don't know. I, I have to say, I'm, I'm in general, I'm favor, I'm in favour of change in cricket, and I think that there are a lot of things that that can be changed and sh- and should be changed. I just can't. Yeah, I, I I don't see a particularly strong argument here, but let's see if they do trial it. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, maybe in some of the series they'll do it. Maybe they'll keep, for example, in Ashes. But then, then I guess, how do you calculate that in the in, in the Test Championship, right? Yeah, that was one of the suggestions. Maybe some could be five, some four, but I just find that hard to to reckon with as well. If you have, it needs, surely it needs to be standardised. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. Well. Sticking with Test cricket, a very interesting series developing. In South Africa, where England uh, fought back after a pretty poor performance in the first test. To win the second test, Toby, a return, a bittersweet return for Jimmy Anderson, who took seven wickets. Um, But perhaps the biggest story from that test match was England's youth brigade. Well, what an advert for five-day cricket, first and foremost. Um, That's... That's by the by. I think you are absolutely right in terms of though England giving youth its head and I think going into Port Elizabeth which uh, is the next test which starts tomorrow in South Africa uh, there could be potentially six under 25s in the lineup if Joffre Archer gets the nod which we'll maybe get to um, but yeah very very interesting I think England were pretty poor in the first test and by their own admission and that you know there's some mitigating circumstances there have been some illness in the camp I think some gastroenteritis which is actually seen Jack Leach sent home actually for the rest of the of the series. Um, yeah, and there was a football-related injury. Yeah, I, so I watched the video. I mean, it, it, Rory Burns looks quite a handy footballer actually, but there was a call to see, you know, should Burns be replaced uh, by a central midfielder or a holding midfielder? And, and in the end, they've decided not to go with any any replacement. But yeah, this whole football thing beforehand, um, I, I remember. Uh, Glenn McGrath famously sort of trod on a cricket ball on the outfield and did his ankle in a, before a, a key test in the Ashes a, few, a number of years ago. Uh, not football related, but sort of outfield injuries that result in quite long term, um, you know, people missing game time is an issue. And I think England have suspended the football for a while, but apparently the players really like it. Uh, and it's quite good for team building and morale, etc. So they're going to have to find something else, tiddlywinks, mahjong, something else that they can really get together on. But I think back to the game, and it was a fantastic game and a a great advert for Test cricket. Um, You mentioned Jimmy Anderson, who's now out for the rest of the the series. I think he's had a bowled through a a serious amount of pain in the last session. But it was um, that man Stokes again, really, um, who seems to be England's talisman these days. Um, And he was just a a sensational test for him again. Um, Bowling at the death, and England needed those final wickets to wrap up the, the South African tail. And he was just charging in like it was day one and just extracting just enough out of the pitch um, and getting some crucial wickets. I also think Root uh, probably had his best test as captain in terms of his tactics. So there were some, you know, some good plans that were, were executed. I think if, if you were um, Virat Kohli, you, you'd be expected to be delivering those sorts of plans 
test by test. I think we don't see that as much with Joe Root, and so I'm hoping that this will be a uh, start of sort of a new um, approach to his captaincy. Uh, but yeah, looking forward to the to the, to the next test. And, and South Africa have got some successes. I think Peter Milan uh, is a bit of a journeyman, but he played extremely well uh, in Cape Town and showed some very good concentration, similar to Dominic Sibley, who put both of those players uh, showed sort of uh, grinding um, ability to sort of play play uh, play the fast bowling. Dean Elgar needs some runs. Rabada bowled well, I thought uh, three for sixty nine in the first innings, but he carries it quite a heavy burden with um, Vernon Philander um, planning to sort of step away from the test arena. So once big Vern goes, it's uh, it's all down to Rabada. So yeah, interesting times for both sides. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. Both teams are in transition. England have gone for youth. Uh, whereas South Africa have gone for quite experienced players, and you know, there's a number of of players they brought in who are, have played a lot of first class cricket. If Jofra Archer gets selected, that's six players under 25. It's the first time England have done that since 1993, heading the Test against Australia. Toby, who were the six players under 25 in that Test match? <laughs> oh God, I was 13 years old. 19. Grenthorpe, one of them. Yes, correct. Mark Lathwell. Correct. Eilert. Was it Mark Eilert? Was Eilert under 25? I don't, I don't think know, he actually. was. I don't know. I've run out. I don't know. Michael Atherton. Nasser Hussain. Uh, Andy Caddick was actually under 25, I think. And then I think the sixth was either... So it was either Eilert or, um, or Alex Stewart. I can't remember which of them was under... Which of them is younger? Wow, so a few of those went on to do quite well. There we go, yeah. a bit of trivia for you. Yeah, there you go. I mean, it's 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 really interesting. And some of these players, they actually seem to be taking to test cricket quite well. Um, you mentioned Dom Sibley, uh, Ollie Pope. Well, yeah, they do. I th- they do and they don't. I think I was just about to say there's there's it's exciting. You know, when you look at football and you don't win anything with kids. Is the is the famous. Uh, Alan Hansen repost to Sir Alex Ferguson blooding the likes of Gary Neville in the 90s for Manchester United. I think there's there's excitement when you've got younger players coming in. If you look at the players that have played so far, you know, Don Best, for example, hasn't bowled any five fours, for example. Sibley is the only one to score a century, I think. There's been some useful runs and useful contributions. So I think I think there needs to be a little bit of um, uh, just to sort of realism in that but I think England haven't got much of a choice I think it's a good thing to do blood a load of them at once uh, on a, a tough tour in South Africa so it will be good uh, stand them in good stead for future challenges Pressure shifts to Faf Duplessis um, there was a lot of uh, scrutiny of, of uh, Joe Root as you said after the first test but Faf Duplessis hasn't scored I think a century now in more than a year Yeah he's struggling and that, that shot I think he sort of swept Don Bess hard to Ben Stokes, I think was a real brain freeze, and he admitted as such after the after the game. And I, what a question for you guys, really? Who who do you see taking over the mantle as captain for for South Africa? Because uh, astonishingly, I didn't realise, but South Africa's next test doesn't come until July, so there isn't an awful lot of Test cricket coming their way. So they really need a multi-format captain. And he's thirty-five. He said he's going to step down. Who who would you earmark next? I think it's probably De Kock, isn't it? Yeah. I was going to say he's already got the one day captaincy, doesn't he? I like the look of Van der Dossen as well. I think I think I was impressed in the World Cup. He had a couple of good knocks in the World Cup when I saw him at Manchester, and he batted quite well in that last day. You know, faced what? What did he face? Something like 100, 200 deliveries or something, or one hundred forty. Mm. 
Um, he seems to have a good temperament and is a nice like, stroke player too. But yeah, they've got a lot of problems with that order. Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? Because they've got you know Elgar and Markram at the top. That should be should really be producing better returns than than the England's opening partnership, but hasn't panned out that way in this series. Hamza didn't look like much, did he? Number three. You're right. Actually, the the impending departure of Vernon Philander means that you know it's not just the batting that South Africa is is worrying about. It's it's the bowling. Yeah, the spin spin as well. Maharaj, I think, went for 160 in the in the second innings, which isn't great. Um, so there's there's problems really for the for the spin cupboard as well. Yeah, and, and and problems continue off the field as well. I mean, this was another Test match in which South Africa didn't meet its transformation quota. I think uh, they have said they're not going to meet it in the next Test as well. Graham Smith, who's now the director of cricket, he's 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 the guy who who will be summoned by uh, the South Africa Sports Ministry or whatever it's called. Uh, and I, you know, he's probably a big enough personality to to fight that battle but you know at some point that's going to cause problems as well and then of course there's all the financial issues the board is facing um so yeah this this may explain why south africa is in favor of four-day test cricket is, is, is it what happened to ngidi is he is he injured or is yes yeah he's been injured but he, he's a prospect definitely if he can nurse him back i think rabada and ngidi are, are a, a pretty good uh, opening pair so there is hope i think they just need to get their house in order really all right okay let's move to australia so i mean how do we describe australia played a one-day match against india yesterday it was probably one of the most comprehensive victories i've seen in one day cricket as rare to see india get beaten that badly at home it was i think a record stand in a one-day match against india and india or something along those lines Australia did everything well. They had their plans put, you know, to, to perfection, Darren. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting, wasn't it? I mean, I, I think the first half of the, of the Indian innings, uh, they were sent into bat and everyone was like roasting uh, Aaron Finch for doing that. Um, but it, it worked out quite well. Um, you know, they, they were sort of cruising along at, you know, 130 for, for one in the 27th over, looking pretty good, looking good for 300 plus, and then they just kind of fell apart. Yeah, they've got that lingering softness, I think. They, they've potentially solved the number four issue with Shreyas Ayer but without uh, with Rishabh Pant still not firing Hardik Pandya's injured it means that they are heavily reliant on Rohit Sharma Shikhar Dhawan Virat Kohli KL Rahul the top four basically to get the runs if if one of those four doesn't get a century or if you know if three of them don't get half centuries they, they don't really have the power further down the order and you saw that yesterday yeah, they didn't seem to be in the game really. They didn't seem to be that up for it. Whereas the Australians, surprisingly, turned up kind of pumped up and and really into it. I mean, they, they fielded well. They bowled to their plans very well. Um, yeah. As always, Finch was tactically quite good. Yeah, and then in the, in the bowling, they didn't have much luck. The Indians, but um, you know, Australia just powered through. And it's sort of the old David Warner was back, scoring it. You know, more than a run a ball and pummeling the mm. attack all over the place. Um, yeah, and I thought Finch batted really well. Yeah, they went through phases, didn't they? I think when one slowed down, the other one picked it up. So they batted well as a partnership for sure. And of course, Australia have brought in Manus Labashain, who is risen, yeah, whose stocks continue to rise. They're putting him at number three. But if you look at that Australian batting order, it does look a bit old school to me. Um, you've got Labashain, Smith, Carey, Ashton Turner, who hasn't been in the best form. So they're also got a bit of a weak batting lineup, I'd say. So they, they, they can be tested in the next match, perhaps. 
Yeah, he didn't bowl very well at all, did he? He was all over the place. Kind of surprising. No, still finding his radar. Yeah, Thakur didn't look very impressive at all, and Shami was a bit short. Yeah, there wasn't it wasn't a good bowling effort. Yeah, I don't, I'm not convinced about Thakur. Uh, I mean, he, he he did well in the T20s, I think, against and one day as against the West Indies. Yeah, um, he's hot and cold, isn't he? He bowls well sorry? one day, and the next day he gets smashed. Yeah, he's he's a bit of a throwback to the. He just reminds me of the bad old days of Indian. Yes. Uh, medium paces. <laughs> Anything you want to say about? We we didn't cover the end of the Australia New Zealand series. You know, it was a very. Is there a need? Uh, probably not. I mean, the only thing I think to talk about is is really the emergence of Manus Labuschagne. He's outbatted Steve Smith this summer so far. I think he's risen to on the ICC rankings to number three or number four at the moment <clears throat> after his year. So. He just seems difficult to get out. Had a great summer against Pakistan, against New Zealand. Of course, the Ashes is where he sort of got going. Yeah, he's been a real find and, and a really a gut bet by the by the selectors too. I mean, his first-class numbers were not very good at all. They liked, they liked what they saw in him, so they thrust him into the scene and he's done well. It's amazing. Giving mm-hmm. giving Smith that cover to bat at number four where he likes to bat. Yeah. Apparently, he um, everywhere Steve Smith is, you will find Marnus Labuschagne. And he just follows him around. One of the commentators was was yesterday was saying, "Ah, oh, wherever you see Steve Smith, you'll find Manus Labuschagne. He, he follows him around. You know, he talks like him." And I was like, "This is it's a bit harsh, actually. <laughs> Poor guy. He's he's it doesn't do him many favors, I think." To uh, yeah, I mean, the last test, particularly in Sydney, I mean, they had a, they had a second string bowling attack. You know, they didn't choose some of their best bowlers that were left out. Tim Southey was left out of the team, which I thought he was injured, but he was actually left out. And Trent Bolt was injured, so you know they had a real second-string team there. Not much depth in the, in in their in their cricket, of course. And so yeah, they were comprehensively beaten. It was a bit of a bit of a thrashing, really, and not, not much fun to watch. Yeah. All right. Okay. So that's current business, really, in Test cricket. Are we ready to finally talk about our Test eleven of the decade? I thought maybe we could um, we could simplify this a little bit. Because uh, if we were to spend ages arguing over every slot in the eleven, I think you know it, it could take some time. I've, I reckon there are at least one, two, three, four, five, six bankers that we can all agree on. Um, yeah, <laughs> let's see. Okay, so starting from the top, I would say the openers. I would think we can agree on Alistair Cook and David Warner. Agreed. What about Graham Smith? Uh, I mean, would you know if if you would you put him ahead of either Cook or Warner? So Alistair Cook, hundred and eleven matches in the decade, eight thousand eight hundred runs, average of forty six, and some real highs. I think, including series victories in India and Australia. Uh, David Warner, eighty two matches, seven thousand runs, at an average of forty eight. Brendan Brendan McCullum. Not sure in Test cricket. I don't know. I would say his stats are not. You know, Warner doesn't have a great record away from home, though, does he? Really, to be honest, he has such a great record at home. Yeah, I, I don't think Graham Smith has the best record in the subcontinent. For him. Um, yeah, I mean, you'd probably have to go with those two, wouldn't you? Really? I actually thought these were the two easiest. So if we're arguing about these, then I'm, I'm a bit concerned <laughs> about the, the, other, the other slots. Okay, so I think you're right. We go with those two. All right, cool. And it also depends uh, where you play, right? Are we playing in at Lords or where are we playing? Yeah, I mean, we're going to have to assume we're playing on a a sporting five day track, which offers something for the pace bowlers. 
<laughs> An artificial wicket. <laughs> Day four and five, it starts to turn, right? Yeah, it has a little something to keep the spinners interested, <laughs> but you get full value for your shots. <laughs> Clearly, we're, we're not playing um, in Nagpur, let's say. A raging Bunsen burner. <laughs> playing. We're not playing at the MCG either, perhaps. Um, all right, so two middle... So let's, if, if we're going to say there's three middle-order batsmen, a wicketkeeper and an all-rounder. So of the three middle-order batsmen, I think there are two we can probably agree on. One guy is called Steve Smith, and the other is called Virat Kohli. Their stats are kind of... I mean, do we need to discuss this? They're, they're kind of... Uh, I, I don't think so. Those two are a shoe into any team, aren't they? In yeah, the top six. They are head and shoulders above um, all the other middle-order batsmen in terms of their stats. Uh, so it's just... just so we have them. Steve Smith, obviously, um, is ridiculous. 71 matches in a decade, 7,000 runs, an average of 63, uh, 2600s, 2750s. Uh, Virat Kohli, 84 matches, 7,200 runs, and an average of 55 with 2700s and 2250s. So if we're all agreed on that, that means we have four players. I think the only thing about Smith is, is Morley, if you're going to say, you know, you're going to exclude him based on that he didn't play for a year because of the ball tampering thing. If you want to make an example of him, but I don't, I don't think I would. Interesting. Interesting. That means we'd have to drop Warner as well. And Shakib Al-Hassan too would be out of I, I, I've already got Shakib Al-Hassan with an asterisk. So I, I, I don't actually think he'll make the team, but yeah, I, I would. I mean, they're back playing cricket, I think. They've served their time. I think it's okay. They're rehabilitated members of the, of the cricket community now. You know, they've cried, or at least one of them's cried. On, well, Warner's on, cried too. Did he cry on live TV, or did he just? Or was it just secondhand reports that he cried? <laughs> it was sobbing. <laughs> One thing I didn't notice actually is Steve Smith made his debut batting at number nine in 2010. Yeah, he was yeah, a leg spinner. Was, yeah, exactly. That was, that isn't that crazy? Cool. Yeah, he wasn't much of a leg spinner either. Okay, so let's skip over wicketkeeper and all and all rounders because we may have some discussion about those. Let's go to the bowlers. Uh, so if we say there's going to be three bowlers, three pace bowlers and one spinner, which I think is is fairly standard, if that's all right with everyone. Yeah. I think two pace bowlers we can agree on, hopefully. Jimmy Anderson, um, 105 yep. matches, 427 wickets, 24.19 average, and just the longevity and, I mean, the performance has, has been remarkable. And then the other one, who didn't play as many tests, but I think was probably the best fast bowler of the decade was Dale Stain. Uh, 59 tests, uh, average of 22.29, uh, 267 wickets. Would we agree with those? I think Wisden named those three, didn't they? Stain, Rabada, Stain and Anderson. And Anderson. Yeah. yeah. Who was the third you mentioned? Rabada. Yeah, I'm not sure about Rabada. I mean, we can discuss that if, if we do the bowlers, but... If we can agree on Stain and Anderson, then that means we have six. And that means we, we just need yeah, to... Yeah, I agree. Stain is definitely, what like, of, the, of the, the ten years, think about his form across multiple formats. Jimmy Anderson, okay, in tests has been supreme. Less so in the shorter form, where Stain definitely is, across the board, a world-class bowler. So, yeah, definitely agree. Across the world as well. I think that the thing with these two bowlers is they've taken wickets everywhere. Yeah, including India and Dale Stain. Including you know. India. Yeah. And also just the excitement I think that Stain brings, that fire and excitement when he's bowling, I, I think it's yeah. nothing like him steaming in, right? Yeah. You know, there was a period in the earlier part of the decade 
which we've probably all forgotten already, when um, Dale Steyn was was kind of the only bowler bowling at more than 90 miles an hour consistently. You know, I think we forget that there was a, yeah, there was this point where we kind of thought, where have all the fast bowlers gone? There's only Dale Steyn left. Are you saying um, that he led the revival of fast bowling? I think he kept the fire burning. Yeah, I think maybe he did. Yeah, it was hard as well. This this last 10 years, particularly in one-day cricket, you know, the, the bowlers have had a tough time of it. You know, the, the, the ball has changed, the, the rules have changed for them. It's been a batting um, game in the short form. So to have him still holding his end up, I think it's been phenomenal. So definitely. Okay, cool. All right, so let's go to the middle order where there is one slot up for grabs. I have a few contenders written down here. I'm curious to know your your views. If if we're going on on the weight of runs, there's two, a couple of options. Hashim Amla scored six thousand seven hundred runs in the decade in eighty five matches uh, at an average of almost fifty. But the knock against Amla, and I don't know if this is a serious knock, but his decline was so protracted. You know, he went through a kind of almost like a two-year period at the end where he couldn't buy a run. And I don't know if that counts against a player. The other one who scored a ton of runs is Kane Williamson. Uh, 77 matches, 6,370 runs at an average of 52. Uh, very good. I mean, Kane Williamson would probably be my bet. And then there's a couple of outside outsiders. Uh, Chetash Wada Pujara scored 5,740 at an average of 49. Kumar Sangakara. Yeah, I'd have Kumar Sankara in my 11 for sure. You know, okay, so here's the question. I had him average down of 60 potential... plus. Yep, correct. Um, I had him actually, I actually had him down as a potential wicketkeeper. Um, so this is where the discussion gets interesting because... Yes, it does. If you're talking about wicketkeepers, <laughs> there's there's sort of three options. There's, there's Sankara, who, it's important to remember, did not keep in the decade. His last test as a wicketkeeper was in 2008. And he only averaged 40 as a wicketkeeper in Test cricket. Then your other option as a wicketkeeper is A.B. de Villiers, who um, kept in 22 wickets. We know he's a wonderful keeper. His average as a keeper is, I think, higher than his average when he didn't keep. So he played 60 matches in the decade, 5,000 runs, um, and an average of 57. Yeah, yeah. No, look, de Villiers, there's no, there's no drop-off when he keeps. Yeah. Compared to I think he just likes being so, involved in the game, doesn't he? I think the more he's involved in the game, the better he does, it seems. Yeah. So so you, perhaps, Darren, you think Sangakara as number five ahead of Kane Williamson? Yes. Um, and de Villiers at number six? Yeah. Toby? Oh, I mean, Sangakara you know, averaging over 60 um, for the decade is incredible. Highest knock of 320. I, I guess I'm going to hold fire until we decide who's the captain because... I guess Kane Williamson as a captain brings a different dimension um, when you just look at things beyond just the runs. So I, I'm on the fence, not the right answer. I'm sorry. Mm. I mean, who's going to tell Coley he's not captaining? <laughs> yeah, I think we'd have Ravi Shastri as our coach, of course, wouldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. What about that? You can deal with him. Uh, as yes, man. Mickey, Mickey Arthur. Mickey Arthur or yeah. Darren Lehman. Um, <laughs> just go out there and give it a bash. Ball faster. <laughs> Have a beer after the game. Talk about um, it, it's all right. Yeah. So just in terms of batsmen, the, the, uh, any support... I mean, the other there are a couple of other names we could throw around 
Um, Eunice Khan, 4,800 runs at 54. I mean, worth mentioning. He, he only played seven years in the decade, but uh, worth mentioning. Mizbal Hark, 4,200 at 50. Joe Root, 7,359 runs, but his average is only 48. And I think we're all aware of how he's declined in the last, well, since becoming captain. So I'm not sure. No, it doesn't quite make it, but close. Close, but no cigar. Okay. Um, right. So the wicketkeeper, are we agreed on, on A.B. de Villiers? The, the only other option, I think, is B.J. Watling, who had the most dismissals, 226. Um, I couldn't find his batting stats. Maybe I didn't look hard enough, but I don't think they're that bad, actually. Oh, here we are. 39 average, 3,500 runs. I mean, he's a good keeper, but, but this is really a fantasy 11, isn't it? Yeah. If we're honest. Okay. Right? All right. So De Villiers, we're agreed on for the wicketkeeper. Yes. Uh, and we're going to come back to number five, depending on who captains. Okay, so number seven, I think we'll have to be our all-rounder. Ben Stokes, 59 matches, uh, average 36 with the bat, um, 33 with the ball, and probably more importantly is his highlight reel. Uh, I'm not sure who competes with him. Shakib Al-Hassan currently serving a ban for match-fixing, which I would suggest makes him ineligible for selection. I don't know, is there anyone else? Shane Watson. (laughs) Uh, For comedy value? (laughs) No, I think if you have to have an all-rounder, it's got to be Ben Stokes. I mean, yeah. if those numbers by themselves don't, you know, are not amazing. They're, they're good numbers. But but if you think when he gets those, and he's done it all around the world. He's done it in Australia. He's done it in India in all formats. But this is a test team, of course. But you'd have to have him for that X factor. And as a captain in your team, you'd want to have him at your disposal, wouldn't you? And the fielding too, right? He's just a, a, a really impressive fielder. So he's not just the, not just the runs and the wickets, but the general demeanour on the pitch is, is energy personified. Yeah. I wouldn't disagree. I think I think it's got to be Ben Stokes. Um, interesting that you know I didn't have, he's only been playing Test cricket for what f- is it four years, and you know despite that he's kind of he's just cemented that spot really. I, I mean it's I don't know it has it feels like it's been a tough decade for rounders. Um, yeah, sort of dying breed, aren't they? Really, there's not that many good ones yeah. around. No, um, everyone's no, looking for one all the time, right. aren't they? Yeah, I think that's right. All right, so let's move to the bowlers. What about um, DeBron home? Your <laughs> favourite he toes. He's actually, yeah. numbers, his numbers are actually pretty good. Are they in test cricket? I don't actually know what they are. They're not bad at all. Okay, all right. Um, okay, so let's go with Stokes. So in terms of bowlers then, we have... So if we have Dale Stane and uh, Jimmy Anderson, that means... One pace bowler and one spinner. Let's leave the spinner because I think we're going to have the most argument over that. The final pace bowler. Uh, some options. Stuart Broad. 110 matches, 398 wickets at an average of 27.75. Um, 14 five-wicket hauls, two 10-wicket matches. That best bowling, obviously, uh, at Trent Bridge, I think. Eight for, f- eight for 15. He had a great decade. There's no question. Average is a little high. Uh, Kagisa Rabada, 190 wickets at 22. Vernon Philander, 220 at 22. And then two others, I think, worth mentioning. Trent Bolt, who took a lot of wickets 
256 wickets, but his average is 28. And then Morty Morkel, 248 wickets at 26. Gentlemen. And are you guys dismissing Pat Cummins? Who don't forget made his debut early in their decade. Yeah, so my I looked at Pat, and yes, he did. My, I just had this kind of arbitrary cutoff of 200 wickets, which actually would, would also remove Kagisa Rabada. Um, I just wondered if Pat Cummins has played enough cricket. 139 wickets. Can I, can I throw in Mitchell Johnson here? He's been my pick. Um, I, th- I think just for pure aggression, and when he was obviously tailed away a little bit towards the end of the decade, but 37 wickets in the 2013-14 Ashes, just as a hostile bowler um, that really would genuinely scare batsmen. I think that's what you want to see in a fast bowler. And I think he, for me, in the middle of the decade, was the premier bowler, um, speed bowler. Yeah, I, I feel like the English overrate Mitchell Johnson a little bit. Um, not not to say, well, maybe overrate is the wrong word. I think they, because that performance came in... Mythologise. Yes, yeah, and and maybe even pathologist, because uh, it came in that that you know murder ball test series where Johnson was ferocious. I'm just not sure he did it consistently enough elsewhere. Uh, 176 wickets at 29. I don't know. I don't know, Darren. Yeah, you know he, he had a, he had a few great series against Africa. I remember as well as England. Mm. You know he was a he was a really good bowler. Uh, in that middle period, and I, I think bowling with, I don't know if you remember Ryan Harris, who was picked quite late and, and he broke down with his knee, but he was, they were a fearsome um, bowling lineup when he was around too. Yeah. He, I think he averaged, yeah. what, Ryan Harris, 23 or something? 23.5 for the decade, yeah. In fact, Ryan Harris, if you look at it, or the stats at least outbowled Mitchell Johnson. I mean, Mitchell Johnson also had some awful series as well. I think that's the thing. <laughs> I was there at the SCG when he was, you know, he was a shell of a man. We in 2010, 2011. We didn't land the ball. It yeah. also happened this decade. Um, balls to left, balls to the right. <laughs> All right, so your pick is Mitchell Johnson. Um, it Darren, is, yeah. Darren, who would your pick be? I'm going to go and let me go for Pat Cummins. Hmm, okay. All right. I, yeah, this is a really tough one. It is a tough one. It's a really difficult one. I reckon I would go with... Frustratingly, for the sake of this podcast, did I do a drum roll? No, because I've got two, and I don't know which <laughs> one's going to be. So I would either go, actually, weirdly, I'd go with Stuart Broad or Morney Morkel, actually, because I think if you have Stain and Anderson, I think those two complement the other two, if that makes sense. Because what you know, Morney Morkel can bowl a tandem, but Stain well, and Broad can bowl a tandem. So, so who's twelfth man then? You make the call in the morning of the of the match. Yeah, yeah, maybe. But you know, we need to discuss because if you know, one of you wants Mitchell Johnson and, and another wants Pat Cummins, both fine bowlers, and both um, you know, they're not going to let the side down. I don't think. Well, Mitchell Johnson might. You never know. <laughs> yeah, he'd be more likely to let the side down. It's tr- it's true though. Right? Yeah. Whereas you think about Pat Cummins and and Dale Stain, they'd be unlikely to have a bad series, right? They'd be unlikely to bowl badly. Well, Pat Cummins is just a Rolls Royce of a bowler. You know, if he turns up and he's fit, he's going to bowl well. Yeah, my only concern with Cummins is just whether he's played enough cricket to justify his selection this decade. Yeah, but I, I think the reason why I include him is because he did start 
in the early in the decade, right? But then he broke down for a few years, and then he's yeah. rehabilitated and come back again. So that, that's why I kept him. If it was only the last couple of years, I probably would have waited to the next decade, perhaps. Just going back to Colin DeGronholm, your favorite, he's actually averaged 37 in tests with the bat wow. and 31 with the ball. How many test matches has he played? He's played an enormous 22. But he can't help that, right? Because they play less tests and they probably play them a little bit against Zimbabwe and those kind of countries too. He's an underrated player. Yeah, it's a bit of stats padding going on. Like, <laughs> are you saying he plays for his numbers? Um, <laughs> we've never done that before, have we? Not sure I'd say that to his face, the big fella. Um, big man. Yeah. Okay. I don't know how we're going to break the deadlock for the for the final fast bowler. I'm, I'm willing to dispense with Stuart Broad, actually, because... Um, okay. Done. Yeah, we can so, pick a 12. So... Yeah, but I do like Morning Morkel. I think he's underrated. Why don't we let it sit for a while and go to the spinner and see what we come Okay, all right. So the spinner, I think there's three, there's really three options, you know, unless you want to throw in some of the, uh, some of the more left field English selections or even some of the Australians from earlier in the decade. There is Nathan Lyon, 94 matches, 376 wickets. His average is 32. Kind of weird. I didn't expect that. Um, because he talks such a good game these days, Nathan Lyon. Rangana Herath, 73 matches, 363 wickets, and an average of 26.41. Yeah, he just wheeled away, didn't he? And, and got a lot of wickets at home. And then, of course, the third option, I guess, would be Ravi Chandran Ashwin, 70 matches, 362 wickets. Uh, his average is 25.36. His average, of course, is much better in the subcontinent than it is outside the subcontinent. Um, although those last couple of years outside have been a lot better. Darren? It's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, Nathan Lyon's numbers have improved, to be fair, yeah, over the last yeah, five started, years. Started so he started much, high, much higher 30s and he's gone down. You know, the best off-spinner of all time from Australia definitely has improved yeah. his bowling abroad. Uh, in, the, in the subcontinent, for example, he's changed his style and his action. He was very effective last time there. Ashwin is great in India. I'm not sure. How did he do in India last time? In England last time? Did he? He only played, um, I think, two tests. This is the problem. His problem is he breaks down when he's touring now. You know, he rarely completes an overseas series. When I went into this, I kind of just thought he wasn't going to make it. But his the weight of his stats is really strong. That's that's the kind of the problem with Ashwin. I think um, we haven't. We, you know, I don't think he did that well in Australia either. And Jadeja seemed to do okay. Again, he didn't complete the. Um, the series. So his bowling in India is 22 is average. Away from home, it's 31. So... Yeah, so it's not too bad. Yeah, it's not too bad. And I th- I think, I don't have the stats, but I think that away average has been a lot better over the last couple of years. Because even in the tests he has played in Australia and England, his, his returns have been good. South Africa as well, I think. Is, is yeah. Bowling. So Ravi Jadeja yeah. is... Jadeja's stats are pretty good, actually. 200 plus wickets, uh, averaging 35 with a bat. 24.64 is his average in the decade as a bowler. 211 wickets. Good fielder. Yeah. Whoa. Good bat. This is interesting. Are you, are you making a case for Ravi Jadeja, Darren? I like Jadeja. He's got a bit of spunk about him. You know, a yeah. bit of arrogance, a bit of swagger. Hmm. Whereas Ashwin seems like a nice guy, doesn't he? I don't know if he is. Yeah. I, I think Jadeja's stats even more, though, are based on bowling well in India. 
Yeah, I, I don't have the breakout of his away record, to be honest. I can have a look. I'll have a look while I'm doing that. Toby, who's who would be your choice for the spinner? Um, I'm going to go for Nathan Lyon. I think someone who is, you know, obviously the greatest of all time in terms of off-spinning for Australia, but he offers that control that you need in all those different conditions, whether it's in the subcontinent or the West Indies or in England. And he's done it. And we talked about consistency throughout this selection. And I think he brings that consistency. Um, he's as a finger spinner. I, just reading here that his rotation, you know, the revs he puts on the ball are between eighteen hundred and twenty one hundred, which is pretty high. Um, and if you think about the spinning situation in Australia, obviously the post worn era, Australia was scrapping around for someone to really make that position their own. You know, Stuart McGill, you know, relatively successful. Tim May was the last off spinner to take a hundred wickets in the 90s so he's really nailed it down um, and there's a lot of pressure on that spin position for Australia and he's he's had it over on England many times and I just think he's a really tough competitor and he's a good fielder as well um, so he, I think he gets the nod yeah the one thing the other thing I would say in favour of I mean I, I I kind of assumed that Lyon would get it I'm just a little concerned about his stats the other the other thing in favour of Ashwin is um is his batting obviously his his um which I mean, well, Jadeja's batting is sure. pretty pretty good too. So I I found Jadeja's stats. He's only taken fifty four wickets outside India, at an average of thirty five. Yeah, I mean, of course, I I think it's Nathan Lyon. I just oh, didn't want to be the the boorish right. Australian. Although the only thing to let him down is his batting. He's a he's a genuine rabbit, isn't he? Yeah, he's not. Yeah, and Ashwin is a is a very good batsman. Um, he's uh, he averages. 29 I mean not a very good batsman he's a, he's a he's a number 8 he's a solid uh, number 8 and has scored what is this 2 4 he's scored 400s is that right wow that's amazing <laughs> that's amazing you something new every day don't you he scores 4 centuries and 1150s can you recall any of them well 2 of them have come away from home which is even more Sorry? I think he scored one against Australia. Yeah, that would be at home, though. I don't think he scored it in in Australia. Uh, but I think his batting's tailed off a bit, though. Um, all right, well, look, if you guys are both voting for Nathan Lyon, then it's going to be Nathan Lyon. Uh, so that's our spinner. Uh, 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 Honourable mention, also for Rangana Herath, because, uh, you know, yeah, he, 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 he bowled well and... You know, he did it at in a higher weight class, let's say, than um, the other <laughs> that, That's very cruel. <laughs> uh, Yasir Shah and Sayed Ajman also had pretty good returns from the decade. All right, so the only thing left then is our final bowler. And the captain. Ah, uh, yes, and the captain. And the coach and the 12th man. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to stick with Morni Morkel, actually. That's my case. And I think... Because you guys have got Nathan Lyon through. Oh, look at you, horse trainer! <laughs> this is uh, this is the BCCI approach to, uh, to team selection. <laughs> it's my show. You better agree with me, otherwise it's over. Yeah, <laughs> you guys got your pick. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I'm not even sure we'll we'll reach agreement on this, but uh, if we can get it down to two, I think that would be useful. Um, I would say I would probably say Morning Morkel or. I'd probably say Morning Morkle or Pat Cummins. I'm not I'm yeah, I'd be concerned about Mitchell's reliability. Yeah, me too. 
So should we go from the top? What have we got? Yeah. Okay, so we've got Alistair Cook, David Warner. We're going to bat Steve Smith at three, I, I guess. Um, I thought oh, yeah. Sengakara at th- maybe three. Yeah, so... Oh, yeah, did we, we, did, did we decide on Sengakara ahead of Kane Williamson, Amla and Pujara? Yes, we did. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with Sengakara. I think he's a wonderful... Batsman, I think he should be captain. I'd also agree with that. I think he's a statesman. He can probably manage those personalities. Um, maybe. Yeah, I, I agree. I think if it, I, I was on the fence, if you remember, I thinking if we if we'd included Williamson, I would have controversially said he would be captain because of his ability to squeeze out um, good results from limited resources. When imagine giving him all these riches. So that was my thinking. But he's out, so I think I agree with you guys. Sangakara gets the captain's armband. Okay, Sangakara at three then. And then we have a problem. Who bats at four? Smith? And then Coley at five? Wow. Wow. You know, and then then you have De Villiers, right? De Villiers also, at six. I mean, De Villiers can easily bat at four or five, so I think you can interchange those, can't you? The middle order. Yeah, I'm just concerned about um, who, who tells Coley he's going to bat at five. <laughs> I think no, give, him, give him them a four then. Yeah, maybe keep him at four. Uh, Smith at five, uh, De Villiers at six, Ben Stokes at seven. Guess Dale Stain would be the number eight. Um, or Pat Cummins. Or Pat Cummins. Eight and nine. So Stain and, and Cummins, eight and nine. Got a bit of a tail there with Lyon and Anderson. Is that 11 or 12 now? That would be, well, it depends. So if we have, um, so depending on, I guess what we're saying is depending on conditions, Morning Morkel or Pat Cummins is the. Right. So you could, I mean, given his. Relatively brief stint during the decade, you could put Pat Cummins as twelfth man. Yeah, but then you do have a that's a tail more cool and Lyon and Anderson. It's okay. We've got Stokes batting at seven. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. you want to be relying yeah. on those top seven to score the runs, right? Yeah, as 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 you should. I feel um, we could always pick. You know, some. I mean, are, are there any? You know, Colin de Grandon could come in, do a job. <laughs> Especially under overcast skies, a bit of swing. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Okay. Well, that's a good team. Who Who's this team playing against, by the way? Yeah. Are we going to do an alternative eleven? The guys who didn't who didn't make it. No, I'm not sure. We could we could pick a flops of the decade, perhaps. I think someone did make a list of the flops of the decade. I haven't read it, but, you know, that would do. That's a very cruel one, isn't it? It is a bit cruel, yeah. They're not flops, are they? They've already made it to the top of the game, so... Exactly. I know. They just, uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. All right, well, who are they playing? A team of Martians. Right, right. A, BCC, a BCCI Select 11. All right, cool. Well, thank you both very much. We've done our team of the decade. Not, I suppose there's no real surprises in that selection. I think there's, yeah. there's always controversy, though, isn't there? I mean, I mean, and again, as we sort of caveated earlier, it would depend on the conditions, right? If you were playing in India versus playing in at Lords or mm. playing in Perth, you'd probably choose different some different players potentially. It's it's a the other thing I, th- I suppose this selection shit tells us is that you know we're we're in the midst of some really amazing batsmen. Yeah. Um, you know, because I think if you were to rewind to the previous decade. I mean, you you had some great names, but they hadn't had great decades necessarily, uh, and this is quite different. So, yeah, it's worth 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 bearing in mind. All right, cool. 
I think that probably concludes affairs for this episode. Thank you both very much. Um, thanks to all our listeners. Uh, we'll be back um, in the not too distant future for the next episode of Cricket Ultras.